0: Welcome to the Neighbourhood Church Podcast. We are so thankful that you are listening in. The Neighbourhood Church is all about helping people find and follow Jesus. We hope that through these podcasts you are encouraged, that you're inspired, and that you're provided with practical wisdom on how to find and follow Jesus. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast.
1: Today uh, we look at how God has revealed himself through his name. And so in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, God is talking to Moses and telling him that he wants him to lead the children of Israel out of captivity in the land of Egypt. And Moses is trying to persuade God that uh, he's not the man to do that. And so he says to him, uh, If they ask me, who has sent me, what will I say? What is your name? And God says, I am that I am. Say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Commentator has said this, the name of God which the Israelites spelled out, Y-H-W-H, the name was so holy they didn't want to pronounce it, is translated I Am and is fundamental to Hebrew theology. It's the most sublime name of God, used around 7,000 times in the Old Testament. This name was whispered by the high priest in the most holy place once a year, and was otherwise never to be written or uttered. Rabbinical writings refer to it in terms such as the name, the great and terrible name, the unutterable name, the holy name, and the name of four letters. Jehovah, the Latin translation, and the common pronunciation is considered to be an incorrect rendering of the name. The name Yahweh speaks of God as he that always was, always is, and ever is to come. God revealed this name to Moses and it became the foremost name identified with the covenant between God and his people. He is the one whose nature cannot be declared in words, cannot be conceived of by human thought. He is self-sufficient, self-existent, transcendent, eternal, and unchangeable. And Paul describes him as dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen nor can see. This God is faithful. That is reiterated over and over again in scripture. Hosea says the Holy One who is faithful. Paul, God is faithful. And the writer to the Hebrews, he who promised is faithful. His nature, his will and words are constant and certain. He's a holy God. Not a talisman or cosmic slot machine. Nor is he Allah, the capricious God of Islam. He's a faithful covenant-keeping God. Our security is found in God's character. Because of who he is, we can trust him in every circumstance and situation. But we cannot presume on his grace The psalmist declares in Psalm 66, verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And so the psalmist again in Psalm 119 states, great peace have those who love your laws and nothing causes them to stumble. God's commands and standards are not optional or subject to change with the changing values of society. And he invites us and calls us as believers to partake in his divine nature. The God of the Old Testament is popularly dismissed as a bloodthirsty tyrant, austere, judgmental uncaring and unfeeling, and far removed from our condition. But that is a caricature not supported by the facts, and this is evident from the names he uses to reveal himself to his people. We're gonna look briefly at four of these names, and a little more fully at three others. And at the end of my message, Brother Owen McCormick is going to share with us. And so in Jeremiah 23 and verse 6, Jehovah said, Can you, the Lord our righteousness? The prophet is calling down woe on the shepherds, the spiritual leaders of Israel, who are mistreating and leading astray the people. And this will eventually result in their defeat. And captivity in Babylon, but here he's pointing ahead to the coming Messiah who will establish his kingdom of righteousness. We have no righteousness of our own, yet as believers in Jesus, we're declared righteous by a holy God because of his finished work on the cross. Jesus is our righteousness and in Exodus 31 13 Jehovah Mekadesh, the Lord who sanctifies you he's the one who helps us on our journey of faith we can't make it in our own strength but he consecrates or sets us apart for his service and he helps us to become more like Jesus It's interesting to me that this is in the context of keeping his Sabbaths, his days of rest, where we are to take time to draw aside from the things that preoccupy us in the business of life, to spend time with him, and I would add, with one another. For as we gather together, and the writer to the Hebrews encourages to do that, we encourage and build each other up as we gather together to worship the Lord and to hear from him. And then Jehovah Shalom in Judges 6, verse 24. The Lord, our peace. This is the story of Gideon, set in a time of great apostasy and lawlessness in the nation of Israel. They'd wander away from the Lord and they'd cry out to God, And he would raise up judges who would lead them and who would deliver them from their persecutors. And Gideon is called by God in the midst of the Midianite persecution. And he is arguing with God that he's not the one to do it. And he asks for a sign and he gets it. And the offering is consumed by fire. And in response, Gideon builds an altar and calls it. The Lord is peace, Jehovah Shalom. The basic definition of shalom is a harmony or reconciliation of relationship and is translated peace 170 times. It expresses the deepest desire and need of the human heart. And Jesus says to us this morning, I am your peace. There is no other peace outside of me. And then Jehovah Shema in Ezekiel forty-eight thirty-five. The Lord is there. The southern kingdom of Judah is in captivity in Babylon. The result of their disobedience to God. But the prophet looks forward to the day when the nation of Israel will finally be restored and the new city of Jerusalem will be established. And he declares the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. Whatever fear you carry this morning, whatever dread haunts you as you look to the future, the Lord would say to you this morning, I have been with you in the past. I am with you in the present. And I will be there in the future. You have nothing to fear if you trust in him. William Cooper was a prolific English hymn writer. He lived in the 18th century He was a man who was troubled most of his life by mental anguish and emotional distress. And one morning he decided to end it all. And so he hailed a taxi and he gave the address to the taxi driver, an address on the banks of the River Thames where he was going to walk in and drown himself. And the taxi took off And a dense fog fell. We've experienced some of the fog in the last few weeks, but I tell you, that's nothing compared to British fog. It's dense. You can hardly see the end of your nose. the taxi driver drove around for a while. And eventually he gave up. And he turned to Cooper and he said, I'm sorry, Gav, but it's pointless. I don't know where we're going. And Cooper got out of the taxi to discover that he was right outside his own home. And he walked into the house and he wrote the hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, His Wonders to Perform the third stanza says this. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. God is there in your tomorrow and he simply asks that we trust him. So let's look a little more fully at the last three names, Jehovah, Rohi, or Ra'o. The Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. I'm going to recite it to you in the Scottish version. The translation, I think, is going to be up there. And you can follow the translation, or you can close your eyes and try and picture the scene. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me down to lie in pastures green. He leadeth me the quiet waters by. My soul he doth restore again. And me to walk doth make within the paths of righteousness, even for his own name's sake. Yea, though I walk through death's dark veil, Yet will I fear none ill, for thou art with me, and thy rod and staff me comfort still. My table thou wast furnished in presence of my foes, my head with oil thou dost anoint, and my cup overflows. Goodness and mercy all my life shall surely follow me And in God's house forevermore my dwelling place shall be. The Middle East shepherd didn't drive the sheep out before him, as the Scottish shepherds do, driving them with their dogs. He led them. He went ahead of them. He led them into the green pastures. He led them to the quiet waters. You see, sheep will only drink from still waters. And there in the green pastures by the still waters, you and I are restored. He restores our soul. Whatever it is that we are going through, the Lord is with us, leading us, feeding us, giving us Water to drink. Guiding us through all the difficulties of life. Leading us in paths of righteousness. You see, Satan often comes to me and tells me that I am unworthy. And he's absolutely right. But that doesn't separate me from fellowship with God I'm weak in faith and prone to fall, but my very feebleness makes me a candidate for his grace and his restoring touch when I cry out to him. Sometimes the shepherd would have to discipline the sheep. If they wandered away into danger and continued to do it, he would take his rod and he would break their leg but then he would put them on his shoulder and carry them until they were fully restored and healed. He leads me through all the dark and difficult valleys of life and he will do that to the very end if I cling to him and he'll see me safely home. 10, verses 10 and 11, Jesus says this. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Is he trying that in your life today? Eating away at your peace and your assurance? Planting seeds of doubt in your mind? Telling you God doesn't care? Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. And he goes on, I'm the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I'm known by my own, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He knows you personally, and he knows you intimately. He knows absolutely everything about you and what you're going through, and He cares about your needs. I've experienced the power of this passage of Scripture as I've sat by the bedside of dying believers, and as I've recited these words to them, I have seen a smile of peace and assurance cross and crease their face they experienced comfort in knowing that Jesus was there strengthening them in the valley of the shadow of death that he was going to take them home to himself to the safety of the father's house forever friends he can be trusted in every circumstance of life and so Jehovah Jireh find it in Genesis twenty-two fourteen. the Lord my provider Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided This is the story of Abraham and Isaac, the promised son, through whom Abraham would become the father of multitudes. He's an old man, 100 years of age. He's more than that now. And God says to him, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. And Abraham doesn't argue with God. He takes Isaac in obedience. He sets off. And he comes to the Mount Moriah, where it is believed Jesus himself was crucified centuries later. And he prepares the altar and is ready to sacrifice his son. His hand has the knife, it's in midair when the voice comes to him Abraham. Don't do it. You don't have to. I know you trust me, I've made the provision. And he looks, and there is the ram caught in the thicket, the ram for the sacrifice. I don't know what you're going through at this moment. You may be struggling in many different areas of your life. But I want you to notice the sacrifice, the provision comes at the very last moment you may be at the end of your tether you're saying there's no hope and God says to you there is I'm your hope see faith must endure and if you know God you can trust him is this just a story from centuries ago with no relevance for us today I can tell you from my own experience, it is relevant. We have known what it is to be financially strapped. I'm a Scotsman, but I have to admit to you, I've not been the best steward of our finances. And there have been times in the past, two or three times, I have to confess to you, when I thought I could help God out and so I withheld the tithe. These were difficult times. I thought, well, God is everything. He owns the cattle in a thousand hills. What will my tithe uh, if I hold it back? God has plenty. He does. But I can tell you the tithe that I held back, I didn't save. See, it belongs to God. And when I didn't give it to God, the enemy, Satan, he got a hold of it and he took it. I was worse off at the end of that month than I was at the start. I'd have been better off being obedient and giving the tithe to God belongs to him anyway. And it's only in the last number of months that I have come to understand the truth of this fact that Jehovah Jireh is indeed the Lord who is my provider. I've read through scripture many times over the course of my life. I've read this scripture many times. Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved or shaken. And it was the words shall, that got a hold of my attention. He shall. It's not he might. He will. He will sustain you. He won't permit you to be shaken. And I've committed to the truth of this scripture. And I've experienced greater peace and assurance as a result of that. I know I can trust him. But every step of faith will be contested by Satan and it's not an easy battle he attacks in the thought life that's why the scripture tells us to be on the alert he's prowling around he's waiting to trip us up we're not to be preoccupied with him but we are to be alert And each time that he comes to challenge that conviction that the Lord is my provider, I've learned to address him in deeply theological language. I say to him, get lost, Satan, in Jesus' name. You say he won't get lost just because I tell him to. But when I use the name of Jesus, he takes off immediately. They tremble at the name of Jesus. And that's what you and I have to do. We have to stand our ground in faith and address our enemy and tell him to go in Jesus' name, and he will. And so we come to the last Jehovah Rapha. Exodus 15:26. The Lord, my healer. Children of Israel are three days into their journey out of Israel towards the promised land. And they're thirsty. And they come to water. It's the water of Marah. But to their surprise, it's bitter and undrinkable. And they begin to complain. And Moses calls out to God. And God shows him a tree and he casts it into the water and the water becomes sweet and the people drink and are satisfied. The tree is a type of Jesus Christ. And God declares to them, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all the statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you, which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Do I believe that healing is for today? There are some who teach that it's not. I believe it is. Isaiah 53. He's describing the suffering servant who will come, despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Someone from whom we hide our face. But the prophet declares he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised, crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement, the punishment for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him, it's him and her, male and female, young and old, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Clearly the Bible encourages prayer for healing. But I want you to hear from someone who can speak about this from his own personal experience. Brother Owen, come on and talk to us.
2: Well, good morning, church. My story, it started Sunday morning, um, August the 6th, 2017. I got up, had a shower, I was in the bedroom getting ready to come to church. And I said to my wife, man, I, I, I just don't feel right. She said, what's the matter? And I said, I really don't know, I just don't feel right. And I grabbed my chest and I collapsed to the floor. She called 911 and they come and got me, got me to the hospital. The cardiologist that was on duty at that morning was Dr. Wells, who happens to be a Christian doctor and goes to Elam Church. He came and he said, Lois, We had him upstairs, maybe, put two stints in him. But you should know, Lois, that your husband just had a massive heart attack. And the bottom of his heart is severely damaged. And I do not think he'll make it through to morning. So you should call in your family. Then he said to her... I would like to do this if you give me permission. I'd like to take him back upstairs and put him to sleep for four days to try and rest his heart. So my wife agreed, and uh, away I went. So now, Lois is there all by herself. Dr. Wells prays for her, and he leaves. The only people she knew at the moment was friends of ours for fifty more years. And they go to this church as well. Their name is Tom and Marilyn Plant. And they came to the hospital immediately. They stayed with her until my daughter arrived from Melfort. First thing my daughter done was grab my iPhone and went to my contact list and phoned everybody that was on my contact list and told them what had happened. And as Tom will verify, she said, she didn't tell them, she didn't ask them to pray, she told them to pray. So, my family came in. My son from Calgary with his wife. My other son from Seattle, Washington with his wife. All my grandkids, all my great grandkids, they were all there. So I put me to sleep for four days, and then on the fourth day they come in and they were gonna wake me up. And I wouldn't wake up. On the next day, wouldn't wake up. So on the tenth day, My son from Seattle walked into the room, sat down beside me, grabbed my hand, and he said this, Darn it, Dad, wake up now. And I did. You have to know, though, that for all those days, when I was sleeping, my family never left my side. Day and night. But anyway, I wake up. And I have this tube in my nose and it goes down to my stomach. So they have to find out if it's working properly. So they take me to this lab. And it's quite a place because you can watch on a screen what's happening. And uh, they found out that everything I swallowed went directly into my lungs because the valve in my throat had been damaged and it wasn't working. So I had to be fed through this tube in my nose, and uh, all the medication I got through this tube into my nose. This technician would come down, they take me down to the lab, but this technician would give me a sip of this special stuff, and I could actually watch it be swallowed right down into my lungs. Test after test. This is what happened. Then one day, this technician, she came and walked into my hospital room. She said, oh, and I I want you to try this. She said, I've been doing a little research. I want you to try this. And I said, okay. She said, I want you to take a deep breath, then exhale, take a sip of water, and then cough. And cough hard. I said, yeah, okay, I can try that. So I did, several times a day, every test, straight down in my lung, straight down in my lung. Then they come in to get me, and they tell me, we're taking you down for one more test, and if this valve doesn't work today, we have no alternative but to give you surgery and put a feeding tube in you. So in the wheelchair, as they're holding me down to this lab, I want you to know I'm praying hard. I'm praying in English, and I'm praying in tongues, and I'm praying. So we get into the lab. Technician technician gives me a, this stuff, whatever it is. And I watch, swallow it, right down to my stomach. Whoa. Give me another sample of different stuff. Boom, right down to my stomach. Valve was working perfectly. And I don't know who was more excited, <laughs> me or her. But here's the thing, people. You have to know this. That technician was Chelsea Hire, a member of this church. So the only thing wrong with this tube in my nose is it plugged quite often. And they have to pull it out and put a new one in. And I tell you, that's not a pleasant experience. And you don't want to have it if you don't ever have it. It's not fun. This one, they... The tube plugged, and the staff pulled out the old one, and they could not. I mean, no matter what they'd done, they couldn't get this thing in right. And, oh, the pain and the frustration, you have no idea. Then all of a sudden, just out of the blue, this little nurse walks through the door. She walks up to me. She said, "I'll, I'll put it in for you, Owen. I said to her, can you do it better than any of these? She said. Well, I don't work here. I work in emergency. I just happen to be here to pick something up. And I put these in all the time. Just do what I tell you to do. I said, okay. She said, when I tell you to swallow, I said, okay. She said, swallow. In, just like that. I say this all the time. The Lord always had the right person at the right place at the right time tell you another little story. It was night, night time. The night nurse came in, and she was going to give me my meds and hook up my food. Anyway, she s- said, oh, no. And I said, what? what's the matter? She said, oh, oh. And she said, this tube is blocked again. And I said, oh, man. And she said, no, this is not going to happen in my watch. And I don't know what she did, but she stood there holding this tube. Finally, she said, There, it's open. Hooked up my meds, hooked up my food, hooked it all up to the monitor. And then she stopped by my bed and she said, Owen, could I hold your hand for a moment? And I said, Certainly. She held my hand and she prayed over me. Again, right place, right nurse right time then it was physiotherapy time no I'm gonna go I'm gonna change that because I was totally bedridden I wore a diaper and I had a catheter and a male nurse always came in once a day to change my diaper and do all that stuff on this one day, this young lady nurse came in, and she said, Owen, oh, she said, I-, I know this really bothers you that I have to do this, but I'm a nurse, and I'm just doing what I have to do. And I said, yeah, I, I know that. Go ahead. So she done what had to be done, pulled the sheet up and covered it up, and then she leaned down to my ear, and she said, Owen, oh, I want you to know I pray for you every day, and so does my church. Again, right nurse, right time, right place. Now we'll go to physiotherapy. I can still be laying in bed and watch this nurse bring this hoist from the roof down and strap me all in this thing and lift me up just like I was a car, you know, lift me up and move me around. And that's how I started physio, just to get my body moving again. Then they'd get me so I could lower down and I could sit on the edge of the bed. And when I could master that, then they would start to lift my legs. And when I could get my legs lifted up, then they had a machine brought in and I could stand up. And when I could stand up, then they'd give me a walker and then take a step on. Come on, y- you can take two steps. Step, little step, little step. Then the physio fellow, he said to me, I'm going to give you a real challenge. And I said, what's that? He said, I'm going to challenge you to walk to the bathroom. Just get up and walk to the bathroom. That should be your goal, walk to the bathroom. I said, yes, man, I'm going to do that all right. So I got up, and I tell you, I, I took step after step, step after step, and eventually I was able to get out of bed, walk to the bathroom, and come back to my bed. Now, you have to understand, a nurse still had to come with me. So I, this one night, it's three hours in the morning, I, I had to go to the bathroom, and I clicked in the male nurse at that time, and he came in. I got out of bed, or he helped me out of bed, and then I walked to the bathroom, walked back. He put me back in bed, and he pulled up a chair, and he sat down beside me, and we began to talk. And I can't really recall everything we talked about. But I remember saying to him, can I ask you a personal question? He said, sure, go ahead. I said, it doesn't matter what shift is on, what nurses are on. I said, even the volunteers, they all come into my room. And they all say, how are you doing today, Owen? Are you okay today, Mr. McCormick? I said, that's not normal. Why do they do that? And he laughed, and he said, oh, and if I was reading your medical chart right here, you're dead. <laughs> and, I, and I looked at him and said, what? He said, seriously, your medical chart, if anybody reads it, you should be dead. And he got up, and he smiled, and he looked at me, and he said, but hey, you aren't. And then there's the social worker. I've got to tell you about the social worker. Her name was Valerie. Valerie came in, and I've got to be honest, she was a real tremendous help to not just me, but to my wife. She's the one that helped Lois get all the papers filled out. She's the one that got us involved in the heart function clinic. And she made it a point. She told me this. She made it a point at the end of her shift. She always ended up in my room. She said, I like to always come in and finish my shift in your room. She said, I don't know what it was about it, but I could come in and sit down. and I was at total peace. And I just, yeah, okay. And we talked. And this lady, we talked about decision-making. We talked about setting goals. We talked about faith. We talked about family. And we talked about a lot of things. And she always would get up and say, night, on, See you tomorrow. And sure enough, end of her shift, there she was. So she was a real blessing. Now it's nine weeks I've been in there, and it comes discharge day. Now before I tell you about that, I've I got to tell you this. When I was working, I was a driver examiner. I'm the fellow that give you a road test, and if you pass, I give you a driver's license. On the day of my discharge, the cardiologist that was assigned to me, I should tell you this too, I lived in Melford, just by the way. Yeah, we lived in Melford, but I didn't just test in Melford. I tested from Prince Albert and right down to Humboldt and Wynyard. That was my area. So I was on the road every day testing in a lot of different communities. But anyway, on this day, on my discharge day, the cardiologist that was assigned to me, his name was Dr. Jason Orville from Malford, Saskatchewan, who I had given his driver's license to. (laughs) God has the right time, the right man at the right place. I told you about the heart function clinic. I was just there last fall seen the doctor, seen the nurse, seen the, phys- the uh, pharmacist, the dietitian, the physiotherapist. They all went through me. And they all said they're really, really pleased with the way I've been progressing. Then there was a knock on the door, and the door opened up, and here was Valerie, the social worker. Can I come in? Sure. So she came come in, and... We talked with Lois for a while, and then she sat down and she talked to me, and she said, I know I maybe not should tell you this, but I think you should know this. When you were in the hospital, the staff really, really liked and respected you. She said, you never complained, and whatever they told you to do, you done, you did. And she said, they all were amazed at the determination you had that you were going to get well and you were going to get out of this place. She said, and the other thing they saw was your faith. And I kind of laughed a little bit to myself. And then she said, no, I know this isn't right either, but can I give you a hug? And I said, sure. Sure. So she came up, we stood up, and she gave me a hug. And I want you to know, I got hugged. <laughs> then she left, and as she got to the door, she turned around, she looked at me, and she said, and oh, and you should know this as well. You gave me my driver's license. <laughs> the right social worker at the right time in the right place. In closing, I want to say this to you. I, I'm, I consider myself a blessed man. Really blessed. Good church family. Good friends. I should tell you this. One of the friends that first came when Loran L- had contacted everybody was Dr. Norman Jules. I've known Dr. Jules for probably over 30 years because we, we ministered together well with full gospel businessmen. But he knew my wife even longer because the two of them went to Sunday school together. And when he came in, of course, he'd done what a doctor does, and he came back and he also told those, yeah, he's not going to make the morning, but I did. But anyway, I'm blessed. Then I have Murdoch and Carol. I want you to know that Pastor Murdoch was in my room every day talking to me, encouraging me, and praying for me every day. I mean, he got to be so... He was like family. The nurses wouldn't even tell him to leave the room when they come in to do something on me. I mean, they just knew he was there. And I got blessed by a family. Never left my side for all those days when I was sleeping. I have a son that lives in Calgary, <clears throat> He'd work all weekend and on Friday he would drive from Calgary to Saskatoon to be with Lois and myself on the weekend. Sunday afternoon he'd get back in his car and drive back to Calgary. And he he did that every weekend while I was in the hospital. I have a grandson, Laren and his wife Amanda. Laren and Amanda always came to visit me late evenings. And they would talk, and we'd laugh, and then he'd pull up the chair beside my bed, take my Bible, and read the scriptures to me. And Amanda cooked meals and froze them so that when Lois went home, she never had to cook. All she had to do was take a frozen meal out, put it in the microwave or in the oven, whatever, and cook it. So, yes, I'm a blessed man. But the biggest blessing was this. And you have to know this. I walked through a pretty deep valley. But I walked through it with Jesus. And I want you to know, excuse me, but whenever the need arose for whatever occasion, he always supplied the right person at the right place at the right time. And I'm so thankful for that. And I want to say this to you while I close. You're in this church service this morning. I want you to know this you're in the right place at the right time. And I thank you for listening to me.
0: We are so thankful that you've listened in to the Neighborhood Church podcast. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you. Go to the podcast description and follow the link to get in touch with us. Everything we do would not be possible without your generosity. If you would like to give, check out that same link in the podcast description. If you have enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.